your powers of retention are as wet as a warthog's backside. But thick as you are, pay attention. My words are a matter of pride. It's clear from your vacant. Okay, hey guys, I am here today with a guest I'm super excited about. It is A.D. Robles. I think a lot of you are already familiar with A.D. and his YouTube videos. I thought I was a critic of the social justice movement, but <laughs> A.D., you are, you are the true, you are the, you're the OG. <laughs> I realize oh, you are man. the original gangster. <laughs> I don't I'm know about that, but. Because <laughs> I think we're interested in similar things. We are interested yeah. in really addressing what I call, I think, is the real pandemic overtaking our churches. And that is social justice gospel, social justicians. We're going to have a conversation about that today. But I want to give you a chance to say hello and give reader, give listeners, sorry, a little sense of who you are and what you do. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I'm just a random guy. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I started a YouTube channel uh, a couple years ago, and I, I, the really the only reason I started it is because I started to see a lot of very imbalanced takes on social media from a lot of people that I really respected regarding social justice. And it was right around the time that you know Trump got elected. That's pretty much when everything went crazy. Mm. And you know, I didn't vote for Trump, but the things I was seeing were just really extreme, you know. And so I just started doing videos, and just like any YouTuber, probably you know, you get ten people watching your videos, and it's like your mom and like a couple of her friends kind of thing. <laughs> but I would I would put them out every now and then, just kind of not really consistently, but just every now and then I'd, I'd get an idea and I'd put out a video. And then there was a conference honoring Martin Luther King Jr. And that's when the social justice stuff really took off. And I started doing content on that. And that's how I started becoming a YouTuber, I guess you could say. So I did videos, but I wasn't a YouTuber until that until that time. <laughs> um, and you can find, okay, and you can, gotcha. if you want to find me on YouTube, it's just uh, type in AD, uh, which some people get confused because they think it's an advertisement. But um, oh. so I might have, I might have to do something about that. But it's just AD Robles. You can find me. Okay, awesome. Now that's good for people to know. So we're kind of similar in that. So you haven't been doing this for a super long time. You said since Trump, mm -hmm. kind of the Trump election. So that's like 2016 ish. Yeah, I mean, I started my YouTube channel probably. 2017, like the end of 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Gotcha. Yeah. So you're kind of new, just like me. I didn't really start doing like cultural commentary stuff until it was the Kavanaugh trial. Oh, right. And I can't even remember yeah. when that was. Was that 2016? 20, I think. Something. It was shortly after Trump. Shortly. Yeah. 2018, I think, I pro probably. But, I, you yeah. know, I, everything's kind of blurred into, into oh, a few my days, in my opinion. Right. Well, the news cycle is so insane. It's like something yeah. bad happening all the time. So I yeah. it's just been it's been four years of, of insanity. But yeah, after the Kavanaugh thing, I just was absolutely appalled. I couldn't help myself. So I wrote yeah. about that. And that was kind of the trajectory of people getting really mad <laughs> about sure, what I had sure. to say and also being really really encouraging me to keep writing more about that because I think like you said it's just so lopsided and yeah. uh, unfortunately so also that's true of like Christian circles too Christians are just very mm. quick to jump on the cultural bandwagon of mm. just the progressive approach to every single issue and it's disheartening so mm. I'm glad you're doing what you're doing you well, know I, um, I appreciate it <laughs> so just we'll, we'll kind of have this like back up and have a 
zoomed out conversation and then zoom in on some very specific things happening with the social justice movement within Christian culture specifically. But how do you define the social justice movement? I would be very shocked if our listeners didn't have some idea, but just so we're kind of all on the same page, what would you say the social justice movement is? And then maybe you can also kind of tell us how that's playing out the Christian version of that. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think um, social justice has a variety of different, you know, fronts of the battle. You know, you've got the difference between the sexes and feminism. You've got LGBT stuff. You've got race, all kinds of different fronts. But I would say that that the general sort of idea is that in the United States, everything is is really can be boiled down to power dynamics. And so you've got a class of people that is the oppressor class of people, and then you've got the oppressed class of people. And we kind of look at those two groups and we look at the different disparities between the two groups and the different inequalities between the groups, whether that's wealth or income or access to health care or whatever it might be, you know, housing, whatever it is. And you say, well, that's a problem to be solved. And it shows you that that there's an injustice here, because if if the oppressor group has more income or access to health care or better schools or whatever it is, and the other group doesn't, that's an injustice that needs to be fixed. And so we need to fix that. And that's the social justice movement is an attempt to fix the injustice of, of inequity, in, inequity in, mm-hmm. in society in variety of different ways. And it can be applied in so many different aspects. It's really kind of a catch all. You can do it for anything. Like I've seen people do it for um, Magic the Gathering, the card game. So like there's not a lot of <laughs> not a lot of girls play Magic the Gathering. I assume that was because they didn't like that kind of stuff. But yeah. in social justice, <laughs> it's because there's an injustice that because that magic magic the gathering is an oppressive game. And that's an injustice mm. to be fixed because not too many women play it. <laughs> ah, yes. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've talked to Tim Dukeman before. I don't know if you are familiar with him. Um, yeah. He has a lot of commentary on similar things. Yeah. And he, he calls it like grievance mongering, just finding yeah. things, searching, you know, searching out anything to fix. And it's so true. I've seen it in knitting communities. Have you seen that? Where like they think knitting knitting is racist. Yeah. <laughs> like, because yeah, I've seen it. I don't know I've seen it in everything. I, white I, people I, like it. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I like. I bring up Magic the Gathering. I've never played Magic, but I do like those communities. Like I've done tabletop gaming in my life, and I enjoy that kind of thing. And I'll never forget. Like I play a Star Wars miniatures game where you know basically pushing around plastic men. Like I play with toys essentially is what I'm saying as an adult. <laughs> They're these little plastic figures, right? And, you know, you do battles with them, whatever. And I remember they they released a set. It was like a group of eight soldiers, and maybe six of them were men. One of them was an alien, which, you know, I can't tell if it's a man or a woman when it's an alien. (laughs) And then one was a female, female soldier. And people were really upset about that. And I'm thinking to myself, like, how many women soldiers do you think that there actually are in real life? Like, what, what are you talking about? Like, why would you be upset with that? I'm shocked that they even included one woman soldier in the in the set. You know, you know what I mean? Like women don't play this game. Right, right. But I remember people complaining and saying that that was just an example of sexism and oppression and oppression because you didn't get a little plastic figure that looked like your gender. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and it's such a it's a hard thing. Well, no, I, I should say this. So I used to be in academia. I have two liberal arts degrees, and so I was like really immersed in that whole world. Like very skilled at like finding things to be like, oh. Yeah we should be mad about that because, you know, some random thing. But it's so funny as I've moved away from that world and as I've just 
become much more committed to a Christian worldview. And I Mm -hmm. see how exhausting and not based in reality, having that attitude is just like you were saying, like, it's so ridiculous to get mad about something like that, to give another similar example. So I, I like boxing a lot. And that's not something that most women like doing. I totally understand that. But I go to a boxing gym. It's mostly all guys. You know, I could sit there and like really, really analyze every single interaction that I have, every single thing that happens and try to figure out like how I'm possibly being treated badly or differently. Or I could just box, (laughs) like you know, it's just like this very strange, sad way to live your life. And yet it's very popular. It It gives people a really strong dopamine hit. It sounds so stupid when you really take the hood off and you look at it, you know, more than a millimeter worth of depth. But when you say that, you know, black families make on average, you know, 60% of what white families make, like that hits you somewhere. It's like, well, why is that? Like you want to, like, it doesn't seem right. And I can understand why someone could get swept up in this because it's like, well, I I don't want, I don't want there to be an unfairness here. Ever since when we were a kid, like, you know, our brother or sister gets a bigger piece of cake than us. We're like, we think that that's an injustice. Like, that's not fair. But like what we forget when we're kids is like, we didn't even have to get any cake. You, you, know, you know what I mean? Like it's like right, right. that that was a possibility too. But there is something there that it's okay to like care that people have a worse situation than you or whatever than your group. Absolutely. So I don't want to say it's all bad, yeah. but, but that's the thing. Like that whole idea of that's an injustice automatically in and of itself. And so when there's an injustice, that means that there's someone who did something wrong, someone who sinned, someone who, who did a crime or something. And that's where we got to slow down. It's like, well, hold on. Let's figure this out first. Right. I think that's a very good distinction. Yeah. So caring about it, wanting to look into it, thinking it matters, all good things, but driving headfirst into the conclusion that obviously someone's abusing another group of people or another person, not helpful not necessarily true. Yeah, no, I I totally get you. So how do we contrast that to the biblical approach to justice? So we've talked about why the social justice way is not working well. What's the biblical approach that we should be taking? Yeah, so there's a couple aspects to this as well. So when it comes to biblical justice, my belief is that we can take a look at the Ten Commandments that God gave to his people Israel And then we can take a look at how God applies those Ten Commandments in the rest of the law that he gives his people Israel. Now, we're not Israel, so it's not going to be a one-to-one direct kind of thing that applies to our lives the way it applied to Israel. It's not like that. But we can see how he applies different laws and how he gives them punishments for crimes and how he sets up systems of restitution, especially what he doesn't allow as far as restitution. And we can look at that as a blueprint for how what justice actually is, because everyone who's ever existed, who's had a grievance, has said it's an injustice, but that doesn't make it so. Uh, the example mm-hmm. I always use is one of my favorite songs in history is the song Be Prepared, and it's from The Lion King. Oh, my gosh, I love that song. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> song. So I know every I, I know every word. And so in that song, Uncle Scar says the fact that he is not king is an injustice. And it's like, why would he say that? That doesn't make any sense. You don't just deserve to be the king. And he says it's an injustice that we need to square. So everyone whoever whoever wants something thinks it's an injustice. So what you have to do is compare it to what the Bible says. And if what they're asking for doesn't really compare very well to what the Bible says should be the case, then you know that that's not a biblical form of injustice. That's some other kind of injustice. And we don't have to really believe someone if their form of injustice 
doesn't comport with what the Bible says. Wow, that's really good. Yeah, God created the whole world. He created everything yeah. to be how it is. He created everything to work the way it works. And so you would think if somebody knows what an injustice is, it's him. And so he would have given us at least some examples that we can use and draw from to decide. Wow, that's really cool. That's a really profound thought from that song. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I have yeah. a video somewhere floating around. It's just like a short one where I made the point that that song is like the anthem for communists because yes. you've got like Scar, you know, like you said, saying everything's not fair. I should have everything. And he's basically yeah. like, and I'm going to use you brainless goons <laughs> yeah. to get what I want, essentially. So that's funny. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And, and those hyenas, <laughs> you know, they probably were like, yeah, you're right. It is an injustice. You know what I mean? And, and they were going along with it, but it really wasn't. That's not how injustice works. You can't just exactly. say the word justice. And this is the problem with the Christian social justice movement, because so often they're like, well, God cares about justice. Well, you can't argue with that. Of course he does. But you have to define these things very carefully. Otherwise, people can abuse that. And people often do abuse that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I just stumbled upon this quote. You've probably heard of Daryl B. Harrison of the Just Thinking podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 He's great. He said this and I thought it was a really succinct way of kind of getting through some of the the gunk that clouds this conversation. He said, beware of anyone, including any professing Christian whose construct of justice is framed in terms of preferred outcomes. In scripture, justice is a judicial term that emphasizes the integrity of the process of determining what is right, not with guaranteeing certain outcomes. And I think it's yes. a little easier to understand that when you read it. But, you know, basically, he's just saying, if you're thinking about justice in terms of some outcome you think you should have, like you were saying, um, that's not actually necessarily justice. Like, like it could right. be that the outcome you think you should have is just, perhaps. Yeah. But justice is primarily about the way in which you're going about to get to that decision of whether or not, you know, it's yours or it's not yours or it's whatever the case may be. So it's more about yeah. the the process not being a partial process or a, yeah. a process full of partiality, I think is probably a better way of saying that. Well, what, what's interesting about what you just said is that, you know, you mentioned that you started writing about, about this stuff back during the Kavanaugh situation. That what was so offensive about the Kavanaugh situation. You could see that the process itself wasn't even approaching anything that could even resemble a just process. Yes. It was like, Yes. He was lynched in the media. There's no question about that. And so lots of us who are saying, well, you, everyone's talking about justice, but look at what you're doing to this guy. Like, you don't care about how to actually go about doing this, what the process looks like for deciding these things. You just don't care. Yeah. This, is a, this is a lynch mob. And so right. obviously, you don't know the first thing about justice. You know yeah. what I mean? That was yeah. such a, it right. was such a good contrast because so many of the social justice warriors in Christianity were on the non-justice side of that issue, yeah, which makes perfect yeah. sense because they don't know the first thing about what justice actually is. Right, right. Well, their their justice it's because of what we're talking about. They're going after this weird forced outcome, and it's not about actually discerning the truth. It's not actually about treating people fairly. It's about we want this specific outcome. So by any means necessary, we'll figure out how to make it that way. And you're right. I mean, it's something I write about a ton, especially these days, that it seems that the people who are the most obsessive about justice and the most fixated on justice truly have no understanding of how it should actually work. <laughs> yeah. Like, we yeah. just saw it play out with Kavanaugh. 
seen it in the way I think with that Covington kid, seeing oh, it with yeah. the way people are talking about race. It's just justice is nowhere to be found. <laughs> a lot of these right. examples. Right. Yeah. And I feel sometimes I feel embarrassed about like some of my critiques because they're pretty basic a lot of the times. And I feel embarrassed. Like I don't want to insult, you know, people's intelligence, but it's like, okay, let's just sit back with me for one minute. Let's just say that it was biblical that we needed to have equal salaries for everybody, right? Like, let's just say for a minute that that was a biblical thing. Everyone needed to have the same even Stevens. It's not, but let's just say it is. Do you think God would set up a system where in order to achieve that goal that he set up for you, he didn't, but let's just say he did. Yeah. It would be okay to break his other commandments. Like, do you think God would set up a system where the only way to achieve what he's told us to achieve is to actually break his commandments, is to steal from some and give to others, is to hold down some, treat some with partiality in order to elevate others, to treat people differently by, according to the law based on their skin color or their or their poverty level or things like that. Do, yeah. Like, do you think that a God who could do all things and who was totally holy and righteous would set up a system like that where the only way to accomplish his good ends would be to sin. I personally don't think so. So even if I granted to you the project, which I don't for a second, even then I would still oppose you because your process, the whole way you go about this, it's yeah. like sin from top to bottom. So yeah. I don't have to assume nefarious motives in the goal, even though I could because the goals themselves sometimes are evil. But yeah. uh, let's just say I grant that your heart's in the right place. You still must be opposed based on your methods. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's a very Libertarians good are probably very used to this idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, I you like what you're saying. Common. because in this, Yes. Tim, Tim Dukeman and I talked about this because I think I'm more suspicious of people just because I read like the craziest things and I spent so much time in academia. I am of the mind that there are many people who do have bad intentions with this. I think they're just yes. envious and they're vengeful and they yes. want to hurt other people. I know that those people exist, but I probably paint with too broad a brush on some, you know, because I think what you're saying is I think there probably are people who do have good intentions. They're simply misguided. They think that they're caring about people or something like that. Um, but you're right. The fact that they might have good intentions or they might not understand that what they're doing is yeah. wrong doesn't negate the fact that what they're doing to go about it is wrong. Like, absolutely. Right. And I think a lot of your videos talk about that. You talk a lot about like the way that they manipulate language, the way that they slander people, the way yeah. that they intimidate people. You know, it's this whole... I mean, it's just for anyone who's willing to just take a step back and critique progressives a little bit. It's pretty I mean, it's transparent. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it is. And that's why it's so it's so easy to find inconsistencies. It's very easy to point out, OK, Black Lives Matter. But what about abortion? What about in the womb? What about in the inner city when they're killing each other and stuff like mm -hmm. it's so easy to point that stuff out? It's like embarrassing to do it because. It's just like so in your face, like it's like telling the emperor he has no clothes, like it's almost embarrassing to utter the words. It's like it's obvious. Right. But progressives don't care about that stuff typically because that's not their concern. Their concern is their ultimate goal, their ultimate whatever they're trying to go for, because if they were concerned with that, they wouldn't have even started the processes that they've started. You know, right. you know what I mean? Like right. affirmative action would have never been an idea. Welfare would have never been an idea if they were actually concerned with the justice of it. Right. Now, that's a very good point. Well, and I think it's just so interesting. Most people I know get very exhausted when arguing with progressives. They find it very futile because like you said, we'll point out things like this, like, okay, we're saying Black Lives Matter. 
we're all up in arms over this. But when someone brings up the very legitimate issue of black people killing other people, that's turned into, oh, well, that's not the issue at hand or you're being really racist. It's never actually addressing what you have to say. It's doing Mm -hmm. anything and everything to make you stop talking about what you're talking about. You know, they'll find any way to kind of shame you into being silent because you're raising a point that a rational person would be like, Oh yeah, maybe we should think about that. And they just can't like have (laughs) that happen. (laughs) And I really appreciated your video in the wake of with all the, you know, the BLM riots with the church having such a disgusting response to that by and large, obviously not everyone, some Christian leaders being very faithful, but generally American churchgoers being very grovelly and just parroting what freaking Marxists are saying about everything. And you had come out and said, or maybe, I don't know if this, if you've done that video right at that same time, or if it was older, but basically you said, you know, the fact that you're claiming to be a Christian and you're saying these things about white people and fellow Christians, like you've been rebuked, you've been warned, you've been told that this is wrong and you're still doing it. So at some point... Christians seem to draw the line and say, yeah. you know, if you're going to continue down this path, you're not continuing down the path of being a Christian. Like it's that yeah. serious. It's to that level. Do you know the video I'm talking about? Yeah, that was it. That was a change for me. So you said you, you kind of come across my content pretty recently and probably it was mm. right around then because that video by far has been my most popular video. I think it has almost 80,000 really? views, which is like wow. probably four times as many views as my, my second video. You know what I mean? So a lot yeah. of people found yeah. me during that video. And basically the point of that video is that I have to be faithful myself. So regardless of whatever anyone else is doing, I have to do what God's told me to do for me and my family and for my personal context. So for a long time, I hesitated very much to say, look, these people are, they have a different worldview than me. If you have a different worldview, then you have a different religion. If you have a different system of atonement, if you have a different system of original sin, if you have a different system of reconciliation, then it's a different religion. Like you can only change so much and still be on the same page with me. And so I've warned you a couple times. The Bible says I have to do that. I've pleaded with you. I've done all of what's required of me, except for one thing, and that is to now have nothing more to do with you at this point. I started feeling like eventually it's going to be my sin for continuing to extend the right hand of fellowship to people who are clearly not interested in it. You know what I mean? So if you notice, all my videos are tagged no despair, and that's why they're tagged no despair, because it's like, You don't have to despair about the insanity everyone else is involved with. All you have to do is do what God told you to do. There's no reason to despair Mm -hmm. because God's commands are clear and his burden is light. They're easy to understand. And so you follow them, even if nobody else is. And that was the whole point of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's super encouraging just in the midst of so much of this. And I think obviously it's what people needed to hear. We've kind of already touched on this a little bit, but, you know, we can kind of just give people a a takeaway idea. What do you think is the most grievous aspect of the social justice movement? Yeah, well, so there's there's so many. This is very difficult. Yeah, right. I know it's a hard, a hard question. It's like when somebody asks you what your favorite food is, like at least for me, it changes (laughs) on the season. You know what I mean? It changes on a lot. Uh, But anyway, what I've been thinking a lot about right now is. Because like the, like the leadership and the people that should know better, I, I pray for those people and I want them to change their mind, but those aren't the people that I have compassion for. Those are the people I typically will, will be a little bit more aggressive with. But the people I have a lot of compassion for and 
you know, I, I, I feel for and I think is the most grievous aspect of this by far are the people that get swept up into this. And maybe they have been the victim of racism or some kind of injustice because that stuff does happen. I've experienced racism. I've experienced ac actual injustices that went beyond my opinion. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, I've, exper right. I've experienced stuff like that. And so I know it's out there. And so what I worry about are those people that get all swept up in this and they're trusting their leaders. They're trusting these people that they like that seem to be speaking to them directly and mm -hmm. they get led astray and they start to think like their sins aren't actually sins. Like I always have compassion on people like that where they have hatred in their heart towards whites, but they're taught to see it. That's not hatred. It's that's virtuous. not illegitimate. It's almost virtuous. Yeah. I feel the same way about LGBT folks that aren't told that it's it's a sin against God to have a sexual relationship with the same uh, sex. Like people that aren't told and they're given a lot of excuses about it. I feel for them, man, because my besetting sins, the ones that I fight against, they're not popular, right? Like when I first came to Christ, I was very greedy, right? Nobody says greed mm. is a good thing. Well, maybe that's not. <laughs> but nobody says you should cultivate a greedy heart, right? Right. There's no greed parades. <laughs> There's no greed parade, right? So like, so I'll never forget, like when I came to Christ, I was like, man, I got to start hating this coworker of mine that's that occasionally does better than me in, on the scorecard. And so like, I got to stop that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, but I could just imagine what the situation would be like if people were like, oh, no, no, that's not greed. Like, no, that's actually, that's actually an injustice. You need to, you need to take a look at that. I mean, after all, she's white and you're Latino and, and it's, you could see that she's being set up for success and you you know what I mean? Like. That's a very yeah. dangerous place to put people. And I feel that's the most grievous thing for me. It's like the crowds are uh, being taught that yeah. things that they should be mortifying, things that they should be trying to war against in their own heart are actually a virtue. I'll never forget this yeah. one guy, Dante Stewart. He has a talk about how black rage is a good thing. It's like, and, and I could see rage can be a good thing, but the things he's telling blacks to be rageful about are essentially sins, it's covetousness. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, man, like that's, that's so grievous. That's so jacked up. Mm -hmm. I personally think not to say that I'm, I'm perfect like Jesus is, but I personally think that if you look at Jesus's example of who he is pretty ruthless with, it's typically the leadership and the people he has compassion on are the people that are led astray by that leadership. And that's kind of yeah. who I feel I want to help. You, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I want for them to see like it's, and I oftentimes will, will mention that I'm Latino. And the reason I do it is because I'm number one, trying to use their own tactics against them. But number two, I'm right, trying to right. speak to people that are, are easy to get caught up in this kind of thing. You, yes, there's another yes. way. You don't have to hate right. people. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. I do the same thing. I'm half Cuban um, and my grandmother's Native American. So if I need to, if that yeah. matters to people, it's a gift. Like it's a if, gift. That, if that's really going to give me so much more credibility that I will use that. But um, no, I, I like what you're saying a lot. I think that actually speaks to something I thought about. Like, you know, right now, I think a lot of people are recognizing how much universities play a role in churning out people who really just get so deep into this. And yeah. I think what you're saying kind of coincides with that. Because when I was getting my graduate degree, I was a Christian at that point, and I wasn't, I've never really been a liberal. I've been more like a quiet, cautious conservative who wanted to be yeah. liked. Um, but yeah. while I was in the academy, I just remember, you know, you're newly an adult, you're away from your family, you are probably making new friends, you probably don't really have a, a great support system. If you're like most people, you're 
navigating all this stuff. And you're immediately introduced into a system where the more of a victim you can present yourself to be like, you know, oh, I'm a woman and I'm Cuban and I'm this and I'm that. Like the more attention you get, it's just attention, really. (laughs) And that that feels very nice. That validates you. That gives you a place. People want to hear about your experience. From that, I see why that setting in particular really helps to get people so swept up into it because in a really superficial way, it meets all these these needs that we have, you know, this feeling to belong, this feeling to be recognized. And it's unfortunate that the church, instead of doing that the Christian way, they're just doing it the cultural way and trying to sort of also attach Christ to it. And as we can see, the, the result is not good. Yeah, it's it's not it's not good. And you're so right. Like I remember specific instances when I was in at the University of Maryland where people were introducing me to ideas intended to get me to go along with this stuff. I was I was kind of like in that same place where you are, whereas like I, I didn't want to be exposed as that evil, you know, racist <laughs> conservative, just, but I knew yeah. that this was not correct. <laughs> this is not correct. Um but anyway, yeah. Yeah, you find your identity in all these things. And it feels good for a little while. But really, I think my wake up call was just, I observed those people up close and personal. And I saw yeah. like, oh, you're not really a victim, like, or, you know, or like, <laughs> yeah. your life is kind of miserable, but not because you're oppressed. It's because yeah. you have crappy ideas about everything. Like, I don't know, just being there long enough and being close enough, I kind of just shook myself out of it at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not everybody does. <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, that kind of leads to my next question is why do you think so many Christians are buying into it and participating in it? Obviously we both have shared that we sort of kind of a little bit flirted with it, but obviously it's happening in a big way across the nation. Why the heck are so many Christians just like, yeah, sure. I'll be a social justice Christian <laughs> instead of an actual Christian. Yeah, that's that's true. I, I, I it's it's it is kind of perplexing as to how Christians have been able to be duped into this so well. I think that there's a few things at play, and one of the things that I think is that uh, there's a veneer of Christianity to it. You know, it's easy to find verses that say God cares about the oppressed. You know what I mean? He's on the side of the oppressed. There's easy to find verses we should care for the poor. God cares about justice. You know, things like that. Yeah, equity is even in the Bible a few times as well. So you can quote a verse and it's like, if you're not carefully defining terms, it's like, well, obviously, duh, God's on the side of the oppressed, right? So that's one thing. It's it's easy to sort of trick people with rhetoric. The other side of it, though, is I think some Christians, and I was certainly in this camp when I first came to Christ, have a very inadequate view of what the religion of Christianity is. Like there's almost like this, you're a Christian all the time. And so, okay, you're not just a Christian on Sunday. I'm a Christian throughout the week as well. But Christianity really only had a lot of implications personally for your life. So didn't really make claims about how the government ought to run and how society ought to run as a unit and stuff like that. And so that's been missing from some Christians' doctrine. Like what, what happens if the government becomes Christian? How should they rule? What kind of law should they have? What kind of law shouldn't they have? You know, how should they punish criminals? Like people have thought about that, but not at a very deep level. And not in a level mm-hmm. that I think is consistent biblically. So you'll, what you'll get is some people saying, well, we shouldn't have the death penalty because Christians shouldn't kill. And it's like, well, yeah, but God knew that back then when he told Israelites to 
give certain people Kill the people death penalty. Sometimes. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so yeah. it's like, we got to have a consistent answer for this. And so I'm not saying that all Christians haven't thought about that, but I think for some, there's been a kind of a missing aspect to it and nature just abhors a vacuum. So something's got to fill that hole. Something is going to fill that hole that you don't know how to deal with some of these inequities or economics even. Like if you even ask a Christian, if does the Bible put forward an economic system? A lot of Christians will say no. And that's just not true. Why would God leave that out? That's like a, such a huge part of our lives as people. Like economics is all it is, is just the aggregate activities of people engaging in exchange and trade. Like, why would God leave that out of his system? It doesn't make any sense. Right. But it has to be filled with something because people have to engage in economics. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can fill it with something. And I think what often happens is you fill it with something that kind of gives you the warm and fuzzies, kind of makes yeah. you feel a little bit good. And that's the, that, that's why it's so dangerous. That's why I think some people have been susceptible to it because yeah. it sounds nicer to say, People should have equity. People should have enough. It's almost like when you're a child and you first find out that some people don't have the same money, like whether you're poor or rich as a kid, it doesn't matter. Like when you first find out that there are some people that either don't have as much as you or have way more than you, it's a weird thing. Like, well, why is that? Why don't some people have enough, daddy? Like, why do people have way more than we do? It's very confusing to a kid at first, because when we're kids, we're like all about even Stevens, right? Right. He got a bigger piece of cake than me. But when we grow up, we got to have a, an adult version of that. And I think it's sometimes it, it hits us in the feels to hear that uh, Latino families don't make as much as white families. And we want to like fix that somehow. It's hard to know. I asked a question yeah. on my YouTube channel. Why is it that so many Calvinists, because I'm a Calvinist, why is it that so many Calvinists have fallen susceptible to this? And there's a lot of different kinds of answers. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's probably multifaceted, but I think you're definitely right that there's a lot of gaps in the way that Christians approach what it means to be a Christian, you know, it's Mm -hmm. kind of like this very personal thing instead of a thing that has like external impacts on your relationships and the decisions you make and stuff like that. But then I also think probably, and this is, this might, this is probably very controversial, but (laughs) I'm sure you won't, you probably won't think it is, but everyone else will think (laughs) it is. Um, I think our culture is extremely, it's, I should say, is increasingly feminized. I think there's lots of people growing up with just a mom. I think there's lots of people that are heavily influenced by female teachers, female university professors, just the female approach to things. And I think the female approach to things likes the warm and fuzzies more than truth. <laughs> and I said it yeah. just out there. All right, people. <laughs> I think obviously I value both. Like I think men's generally more rational, logical approach, looking at data, that sort of thing. I think it's good. I think being nurturing and emotional is good too. That's why we need both. But I think obviously when it's kind of lopsided and we're kind of taught to value feelings above what sometimes is just uncomfortable truth. Like I think I had a conversation with a lady one time who basically was trying to get me to agree that sometimes the truth isn't loving. And I was like, no, I mean, the truth, telling someone the truth is always loving because the alternative is I have to lie to them. If I lie to them, then obviously I'm not being loving. I mean, I could do it in an unloving way, but she was really trying to get at that. Like sometimes the truth is unloving. And I was like, no, (laughs) that's not. That's a very common belief actually, that that's true. And God defines what love is. And God says that the two greatest commandments are love your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And he also says that those two commandments are just 
a summary statement of the Ten Commandments, the entire law of God. Though That can be summarized and love your neighbor as yourself and love your, the Lord your God. And so well, you know from the Ten Commandments that part of that is to not bear false witness, right? So yeah. it's actually the very definition of love requires that you're truthful. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, obviously, you can't be a jerk with the truth and expect to be like, you know, loving all the time. But definitely right, right. a falsehood, no matter how nice you say it, is unloving by definition. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's the point I was trying to get across to her. There's one um, other thing. There's one other thing. Let me mention yeah, this. Cause ahead. like I said, I've said, a, a, I've had a few different answers to this question. Cause I, I'm like you, I've, I'm kind of confused as to how so many Christians have fallen to this. One thing I think too, is that I think that Christians have a certain amount of fatigue from uh, kind of being against the cultural zeitgeist so often like they, mm. they're so tired of not going with the flow because they have to because like yeah the culture pushes so aggressively on things like there are children dancing you know almost naked in front of men at gay pride parades right. like that's extreme and so it's like we're always having to fight against this stuff and we're always being a stick in the mud it's like no no you actually can't do these things you actually these are actually sins against god and and so often we're, we're having to fight this culture on every front almost it seems that's kind of what it seems like yeah. to people and so i think that with the issue of like race for example and uh and that kind of thing with oppression and all it's almost like a relief valve for some people it's like oh no no, no. god's against racism too finally i don't have to do <laughs> oh, this anymore yeah. i can just go with it black lives matter of course and it's almost like a, a pressure relief valve i don't know i don't know if that's true yeah, no, I I can see that's kind of like a moment to be like, look, I'm cool, yeah. I I'm compassionate, like like you. I'm not a jerk. Yeah, I promise, I'm not one of those Christians, yes. you know. Yeah, no, I that's a good, probably a very true observation for a lot of people because one thing I did notice with this like latest round of Black Lives Matter stuff is people who, by and large, I know are very smart. They do appreciate the truth. They're not totally consumed by their feelings, but even still, they were kind of getting swept up in this. It wasn't just the super progressive yeah. quote Christians who go with the culture on just about everything. They find a way to just Yeah, well, you know, there's something else too, because especially this time around, a lot of people were very honest about some of this stuff. And for some, it's pragmatic. I've heard more than a handful of people say, look, we have to speak to these race issues because I'm afraid that if we don't speak to these race issues, our children are going to see that the LGBTQ community is speaking to these race issues and they're going to go with them. Ligon Duncan said this. He's a hardcore player in Big Eva, you know, evangelicalism, and he's a Presbyterian. He's typically very conservative. He said this, like he's afraid his children will go with the LGBT crowd if we're not speaking to this issue. So it's almost like a pragmatic thing mm. sometimes as well. Yes. And when you you're, when you say the LGBT crowd, you're talking about like the pro LGBTQ Christians that group of people right that sort of right like emergent church people yeah yeah he was a little bit unclear but i think that's what he was for. i don't think he was talking about the culture but who knows yeah yeah right right no i mean i can see that because yeah they're that is sort of like their thing right that's their that's their critique against people like you and i is they claim that we don't care they claim that we're not compassionate right. they claim we're unwilling to work through the issues or whatever the case may be. But the reality is we do care a lot. We just aren't going to roll around in our feelings endlessly. We're going to try to square up what's happening with the word of God. We're going to try to honor God. Like, you know, so I, I get what you're saying. Their critique is that we won't engage. And so I think obviously we should, but that, that can't look like yeah. us just going along with 
Marxist right. talking points about race, which speaking of, I've seen you've done a little bit of critique, we call it a critique, you know, a fairly gentle critique of Tim Keller, because he uh, gets into this a little bit. I'm like you, a admirer of Tim Keller, his work has really yeah. helped me a lot. I don't have any any real beef with Tim Keller, but I do think that he occasionally, maybe because yeah. he lives in New York, maybe because who knows what it is. He's a little, yeah. he's a little more sympathetic to this than I would like him to be. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. uh, he's written some essays on social justice lately. I don't know if you've read those, but just kind of your general response to Tim yeah. Keller's take, because I, I bet our listeners are probably familiar with what he's saying. Yeah. So I didn't read the essays you were talking about. So sorry about that, but I, I'm, very familiar with Tim Keller. Um, I went to his church for a short time when I when I lived in New York. Oh, cool. Yeah, I left it not because of anything he said, but because it was too large and I was a new Christian and I it was too easy for me to like blend into the masses mm. and not meet anybody. You know what I mean? You know what yeah, I mean? So yeah. I decided to go to a smaller church. Yeah, I've actually attended his church twice. It was, yeah. it was great. But yeah, we just visited. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know how it would work in real life. It is very large. <laughs> it's very large. Yeah. And it, that's fine for some people. But for me, I'm, I'm a little bit more, um, I don't I'm, I'm not really introverted, but I'm not the kind of guy that's going to go up to random people and introduce myself. So anyway, point is, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's, he's definitely woke. There's no question about that. But he keeps his mouth shut most of the time about it, <laughs> which, yeah. which might be a strategic thing, or maybe he just <laughs> wants to I don't know. I don't know what what the point is, but but he's definitely yeah. pretty woke, and I've gotten a lot of value from his writing in the past as well. Honestly, to me, it, it seems like it's it's partially because he's in New York. It's partially because those are his people. I mean, the people that go to his church yeah. are, even if they're conservative, they're from the progressive side of things. Right, That's right. their culture. They're cosmopolitan. There's nothing wrong with yeah. with living in New York City. I've lived there as well, but I know these people. I remember. When uh, my coworkers found out that I wasn't a Democrat, I was the first non-Democrat they'd ever met in their entire lives. They said, and uh, I wasn't wow. even a Republican. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're I, like I, a that... unicorn. <laughs> right, right. So, like, that's the kind of that's people crazy. he deals with every day, and so that might be part of the influence yeah. there. But also, if you read his footnotes in some of his books, he obviously is very influenced by socialists. There's just no question mm. about it. I, anyone who would try to deny that, I, I just don't think is being honest with his writing. He's very influenced by socialists. He gotcha. quotes a lot of socialists and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if he mm. is a socialist himself or not, or at least if he would admit it. Um, but that's that's really where it comes from for him. And that's gotcha. the thing, like this woke gotcha. church stuff is super socialist. In some instances, people are just straight up communist. And it's like, yeah, we have to be honest with that. That's where a lot of this comes from. <laughs> yeah. Well, and um, Tim Dukeman made the point on one of our previous conversations is a lot of what happens. I don't think Tim Keller's doing this on purpose. Maybe you, you're. I'm. I wasn't as familiar with how woke he was. So I'm learning from yeah. this. But um, for a lot of Christians who buy into this, the woke brand of Christianity by the time they've really traveled down that path, their end goal is to elect Democrats. Like that's the yes. main thing that they're doing. You know, like their their ministry yes. primarily looks like trying to convince people not to vote for conservatives. And maybe they won't necessarily come out and stay for vote, vote for Democrats. But the underlying implication is that that's the compassionate thing to do. That's what you should be doing. So it's, I think you're right. Like we need to recognize that there's a real political yeah. economic motivation to a lot of yeah. this, whether or not people recognize that it's there. 
It is. Well, and, and I'll say um, this, you know, the last couple of years I've been on YouTube, this has been a little bit more hidden, but they're becoming more and more open about this, that many people are just trying to stop Republicans from getting elected at the very least. And most of them are just, yeah, we're trying to get Democrats elected. That's just it. It's just that simple. They are more loving. Yeah. <laughs> and I would, I would love to talk to them about that. They don't typically expose themselves like in that way to be cross-examined on that. But I'm not saying that that's what Tim Keller is doing because Tim Keller, I, I've read a lot of him, so I know he is woke. But again, like I said, he he's more of a he's more of a hands off woke guy, mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he doesn't yeah. he's not extreme. Let's put it that way. Yeah. At least right. publicly, I don't know him privately, but publicly, he's not that extreme. Right. Yeah. No, that's. I think that's a good response to that question. Um, what I've heard about Tim Keller, what somebody said is basically he's as liberal as you could be and still be okay probably <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that was yeah kind of I would, like, yeah i would agree yeah. with that i would definitely agree don't with go that. a smidge further though Tim. <laughs> don't yeah I, that's a very good way to put it as liberal as you could be and still be all right i, I like i would yep. still recommend some of his books there's certain books i wouldn't but some of his books are actually pretty helpful and i'm not yeah i make no bones about that you know yeah. Awesome. Well, my, just my last question for you here, so we can wrap things up. How do you think we move forward from here as Christians? You know, how do we respond to other Christians who are getting so wrapped up in this? Just yeah. advice for moving forward. We'll end on a hopeful note. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's what I'm all about this year. So I'm all about trying to be helpful and hopeful, despite what uh, yes. you may have heard on my press. But um, no, <laughs> I, I think um, we have to always keep in mind that Again, whatever anyone else is doing, whatever our, our heroes in the faith are doing, whatever our favorite conference speakers are doing, whatever is going on around us, because there's a lot of insanity going on right now. All we have to focus on is what does God require of me? And so God's commands are, are often very simple and they're, they're not burdensome. And I think that he doesn't micromanage us, is, is, I guess is what I want to say. So I'm responsible to my church and to my family. I've got responsibilities for my family just because all the kids in public school are being taught that, you know, they might be a girl if they're a boy or a boy if they're a girl. And, you know, really, what is what is gender like? That's crazy. And I'm not saying don't fight that, that we should, but we shouldn't be in a state of despair over that, because whatever else is going on with the public school kids and stuff like that, like we have to train our kids in what God says about men and women and about sexuality and about all this kind of stuff. Like we have a, a, a simple responsibility. And so don't lose your mind over things you can't control. Mm -hmm. um, you see me on YouTube talk about a seminary or something like that. And I want people to be aware of what's happening in these places. But ultimately, I have no control over what happens in those seminaries. So I can't be obsessed with it. I can't let it take over my life because just because I think so-and-so is not being faithful in this area doesn't mean that God doesn't have requirements for me. So I just have to focus on being faithful for, with what God has given me authority over. And frankly, it's very limited at this point in my life. I've got I've got authority over my family. That's basically it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's basically yeah. it. Myself and my family. And that's enough for me right now. I think Christians ought to focus on the things that they have an influence on, where they can make a difference, more so than the insanity that you can't make a difference. I can't make Alexandria Ocasio or Cortez become sane. <laughs> I can't do that. What? You can't? <laughs> right. She is. She is my Boricua sister. I think we might be related. I don't know. <laughs> but um, let me just say this while, while, I'm, while I'm trying to encourage people. Uh, people give her a lot of grief, but she seems like she'd be actually fun to hang out with. I, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> she, 
she strikes me as she might be fun to hang out. Anyway, um, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but 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 if you want to throw away despair, just remember that God has given you certain things to put in your authority. He's given you certain commands, and you can obey Him no matter what else is happening. So focus on the mm. things that you have a semblance of control over, a semblance of authority over, and don't get too worked up about things that you just have no hope of changing without yeah. you know just God moving in a miraculous way. You can pray for people that you have no control over, but focus on the things that God has given you. And I think that's the plan, honestly, for, for God's kingdom. It's like, that's why he says it grows like a mustard seed or like leaven. It's like mm -hmm. your little family, if you if you extrapolate it out, you know, generations after generations after generations, th that becomes nations eventually. And right, so stay right. faithful with what you've been given. And I think God will be faithful because he's promised to be faithful to his people. And that, I, I don't know, that's what no despair is all about. You just, you focus yeah. on the things that God has told you. Right. Well, I really like that. I think I could see yeah. too one. I mean, that's just true and good and encouraging, but also I think maybe that helps if you keep that in mind. Cause I know just in the nature of what I do and then like the people that follow me, there's a real interest in like changing culture. And, you know, I think that's good and everything, but it is really easy to get swept up in the idea that you are responsible for things yes. you're not responsible for, or yes. you're failing or whatever the case may be. But if you do just focus on what is in front of you, being faithful, being obedient, right. you know, that that doesn't mean you can hide from things because sometimes right. you have to have really uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. You have to have confrontations, yeah. you know, like that. You're not saying that you're just saying keep the perspective on what God has given to you and be faithful That's to right. it. And I think that is how you change culture. Like you said, it's not massive necessarily. It's not a big mushroom cloud of change, but it's. Right. daily decisions, daily changing what is in front of you. And eventually that changes yeah. a lot. People like to, people like to imagine, I don't know if you're the same way, but, but you know, in my mind, I always picture like, okay, so when, when the time comes and I'm about to be executed, I'm going to stand up for Christ <laughs> in that key moment, it's going to be epic. And it's like, <laughs> the chances of that happening are very low, but you know, it's good to be prepared for it. But what's right, more right. likely to happen is that you're going to live your life every day in normal circumstances, in very ordinary ways, and you need to be faithful to Christ in those ordinary things. That's more likely to be the case. It's probably you're probably not going to go out in a blaze of glory. You're probably going to go out, you know, like most people do, dying of old age or something like that. And you want to look back on your life and say, okay, every step of the way, even though there was no epic conflict, every step of the way I was faithful to God, and that's how we're going to win this war. Because you're hopefully, God willing, yeah. you'll have a family, you'll have kids, you'll have grandchildren if God blesses you with grandchildren or whatever. Right. And if you don't, you'll have people you're discipling. You'll have yes, you know, exactly. your church family. Right, right. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. So whatever it is, like in ordinary life, that's when that's that's how it happens. So that's why we should be encouraged. That's why we should have no despair because ordinary lives lived for Christ are, are going to be used for, for his glory, you know? Yeah. Awesome. Love it. No despair. Sweet. Well, thank you so much, AD. This was really fun. Thank you for coming on and chatting about this. I bet people are going to love it. Real quick, again, you want to remind everybody where they can find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at RealADRobles. Um, I'm on, well, for now I'm on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Oh, Robles? I'm so sorry. I've been saying your last that, name wrong. That's okay. Robles. There's like three different ways to pronounce it. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's so- the uh, white side of me. 
yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, well, uh, but anyway, uh, but yeah, there and then YouTube, you can type in AD Robles as well, and you'll definitely find my content. And um, that's it for right now. Sweet. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Carmen. God bless. Yeah. God bless. The lights are not all on But we are talking king succession. Even you can't be caught unawares.